This is District Sentinel Radio. It's Wednesday, which means the two Sams are joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. He's the policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent. And he is also the third leg, but the most important third leg, and the person who this segment is named after, Chip Chat. Chip? Thank All... you for inviting me back to the segment that is named after me. It is, it is a great honor that I, I keep being invited back to Chip Chat, though I do wonder how Chip Chat would go without, without the chip. Well, we've explored the options of Chad Chat. and Chad Chat, we, yes. We prefer Chip Chat. But we established last week that you're going to start giving us some more snack advice. Uh, I gave you all the snack advice I have last week. (laughs) Chip Chat, whose snack advice is confined to crab rangoon. It was the bourbon shrimp that I made and then the nachos, which Sam will attest the nachos were very good. They were. They were good nachos. I believe you had my nachos on several occasions, Sam. I wish I had a, a plate of them right now. I, yes, well. What are we talking that? about? What are we talking about this week, Chip? Well, I don't know if you've seen these buffoonish people parading about with firearms and for some reason Confederate flags because that has a lot to do with the government or the lockdown in Michigan, uh, claiming they want to reopen the economy or liberate this state, or, or what, whatever it is. I, I think they probably have some other issues as well, hence the firearms and Confederate flags. But I've been, you know, not just sort of disturbed by people who are openly calling on people to gather together without masks. Come even if you're sick. One of the posters said, come even if you're sick. And I know people have reported they're telling their protest or their, their members not to wear a mask because it undermines their message and yelling things like Dr. Fauci is a fascist or Jesus is my vaccine and, you know, congregating in close quarters and shaking hands like that's very disturbing. Um, although there are some sort of larger First Amendment issues about the right to assemble, which which I, I'm not going to get into at this moment. Um I'm a little bit perturbed by the amount of media coverage this has gotten because it's clearly disproportionate to the size of these protests. And it's not clear to me what percent of this is like actual grassroots earnest crankery. And there are plenty of cranks and they will they will come out and let you know about them versus like just good old astroturfing, right? There's been several articles about some groups connected to the DeVos family, or their money at least, have been behind organizing these. Uh, Sarah Lazar, uh, an excellent journalist, had an amazing piece in In These Times. I was reading it right before we started this segment about sort of the uh, big money think tanks that are, in her words, lobbying to send workers to their deaths. Um, and many of these think tanks, of course, advocate very anti-worker policies. They oppose the $15 an hour minimum wage. They supported, you know, right to work for less, as, as I believe it's appropriately called. And, you know, they're calling for an end to the shutdown and lockdown. And they're using this language about like, well, this hurts poor people or this hurts workers. They can't go to work. Um, and, and none of these groups are concerned with workers. And if they were, they wouldn't be calling for workers to be sent to their deaths. So you do have a, a, a moneyed interest in sort of uh, uh, reopening the economy and, and, you know, 
saying to hell with the safety of working people, though with some of the people who are jumping around and stuff, I, I do think some of them could just be sincere but disturbed people. But but going back to my original point, I mean, I remember, oh, I don't know how long ago. I don't want to date myself too much. It could have been a few years ago. It could have been a decade ago. Ralph Nader used to talk about how, like, there were some fairly sizable protests for, like, Palestinian rights in this country, like tens of thousands of people maybe. They would get zero media coverage, but other protests that were much smaller would 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 get much more coverage. And I, I was looking at The Guardian, and some of these protests have, that have gotten coverage have only a dozen people at them. I know others of them have actually been in the thousands. But, you know, if you had thousands of people, certainly dozens of people, gathering in several major cities to protest for Palestinian rights, does anyone think that would get all the media coverage this is getting? So so clearly the media is a little bit complicit here because they are certainly giving these people disproportionate media coverage. And it just goes to show a ridiculous double standard where like left-wing protests get very little coverage, even when they're quite large, and these sorts of weird quasi-fascist astroturf events, you know, that's all the media media is bullying them up. And, you know, I, I have other issues with how the media is covering this. Um, I've, I've been trying to go through and look at stories uh, from people who are protesting about why. I did see one couple saying that their, their business that employs 100 people to, like, place them in hotels and stuff hasn't been able to operate. So, so they're, you know, losing their money and might become homeless, you know, whether that claim is true or not, I don't know. But a, a number of these other people, when, when they interview them, they don't mention, oh, I've lost my job or, oh, I'm at home and I can't work and I really want to go back to work, right? They're not really finding like unemployed baristas who, you know, want to risk getting COVID to go back to like minimum wage work. The types of complaints you hear are, I cannot buy lawn fertilizer, which actually you can buy lawn fertilizer, I believe. Yeah, you definitely, you can absolutely buy lawn fertilizer. But the guy, you know the clip I'm talking about from Fox News where the guy's like, it's ridiculous. You can't buy paint, you can't buy lawn fertilizer, and you can't buy lawn seed. Sam Knight just bought lawn fertilizer. I I think he said you can't get a haircut, which is sort of true, but also you kind of can. I'm sure you can get a haircut if you go on Craigslist. Well, so so, so that was a different person in the same segment. The opening one was upset because you cannot buy paint, lawn fertilizer, or lawn seed. I'm I'm fairly certain, like, Home Depot is considered an essential service. Uh, I imagine— I've been to Ace Hardware multiple times. Did you buy lawn fertilizer though, or do they have a special shutdown no lawn I, fertilizer? I soil? bought soil. I bought soil to to start a vegetable garden. <laughs> well, Sam, this is why you're not out jumping around with a Confederate flag because you could, you know, <laughs> these, successfully get to the hardware store. These guys are like, uh, can't buy lawn fertilizer in large amounts. Can't buy uh, liquid nitrogen. Can't buy uh, starter like, plugs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to go in and buy a, a jar full of nails and they just wouldn't sell it to me. Yeah, but the other people have all been, I can't get my hair cut. Um, there's pictures outside the Baskin Robbins of someone screaming, give me, or holding a give me liberty or give me death sign. 
And a number of commentators on Twitter have juxtaposed that uh, next to tweets from a Baskin Robbins employee. I can't believe uh, I'm considered an essential worker. And I think the interesting thing, and I've seen people on Twitter make this uh, same observation, is that like these people basically are calling for like workers to return to serve them, right? When they talk about reopening the, the economy, they want someone to risk their lives to sell them an ice cream cone, to cut their hair, or to give them lawn, lawn fertilizer. They're oftentimes not talking about um, their own personal hardship. Or I guess, you know, not having lawn fertilizer is a hardship. I don't know. Uh, and it really well, goes back to, I think, looking at who's funding the, the think tank proposals, that they're very anti-working class groups. And that what we're seeing is really not a movement to sort of reopen the economy that's centered around, you know, oh, these poor people are losing money. And people really are hurting right now. And they have lost their jobs. And they have maybe lost their health care or they didn't have paid sick leave. And right, there's a whole bunch of things the government could be doing besides sending them out in a pandemic. But the question I want to know, if I was a reporter and I want to risk my life to talk to uh, buffoons, which 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 I don't, um, first of all, when they start up on this, I want to buy lawn fertilizer stuff, I would ask them, so how have you been in your job impacted by this? I'd love to see how many of those protesters are teleworking or haven't had any actual financial impact. I'm not saying... It would be all of them or even a majority, but the media should be asking that. And then when they talk about like, you know, I want to be able to buy fertilizer, I want to be able to buy get my hair cut, they should ask them, okay, let's say they lift the government shutdown order, what should happen to business? Should businesses then voluntarily stay closed, right? Where I work, we went on to telecommuting before DC gave the shutdown order. DC gave the shutdown order quite late compared to even some Republican. Uh, led states. And the big question should be, what happens if the businesses, what do you think, Mr. Give me liberty or give me death? What should happen if the businesses open up and the workers say, we don't want to risk our lives to cut these people's hair or sell them ice cream cones? What should happen to those workers? And I imagine they'll say, you know, they should lose their jobs. They should not get any benefits from the government. They should starve to death. And that really brings up the question I I, I uh, brought up before about like market coercion and, and, you know, market authoritarianism. These people are claiming that their freedom is being hindered upon. But what about the freedom of working people to not have to risk their lives to like pay their rent, to perform unnecessary services in a pandemic for privileged, spoiled people, right? Is that not a freedom anyone wants to talk about? And like, I, I, like the reporters should be openly asking these questions and bringing these things out into the open, and they're just not. And I want to throw out that there have been, you know, car protest for for ICE detainees and prisoners. There's been other protest. There was a protest for for the homeless uh, for the LA the city of LA's shameless handling of, of homelessness during the coronavirus. And two of the organizers were actually arrested for having amplified sound. And and I can find very little about this except for social media. And and as far as I can tell, that the protesters were practicing social distancing, and, and they claimed they were, and that's gotten very little coverage. I can, as far as I can see, but like twelve people who need to buy lawn fertilizer and for some reason have a Confederate flag. 
Yeah, I think that is uh, the the component here that's really infuriating is, I mean, you expect it out of the media. This is the same media that hyped up the Tea Party protests a decade ago as some organic grassroots event uh, when it was just manufactured by Fox News, by the rich. And then MSNBC and liberal media outlets felt the need to then report on it like it was a legitimate event. And you see that now playing out here where you see MSNBC, and I mentioned this on the show yet the other day, uh, sending reporters out to cover these protests. And the reporters obviously don't have the sort of protective gear they need to be around these masses of people who believe that all this uh, is a hoax and aren't wearing any sort of masks or anything Jesus like that. But but the, the, the way the police have responded, I mean, you, you've seen videos in like the New York subway of cops like wrestling down people because they don't have masks, normally minorities yes. because they're not wearing masks. You just mentioned the case in which uh, there was a, a, a much, and I wouldn't even say much smaller scale protest because a lot of these are pretty small scale protests that have been hyped up to be bigger than they really are. But you see cops intervening and breaking up protests and arresting people under the uh, pretext of this of the social distancing guidelines and the fact that we're in this pandemic. But when police have been asked about these protests, uh, they're like, well, we're not going to enforce the law. And that's that's fine. I mean, we're not saying that cops should go and start arresting these people. Um, you know, dumb people can do a lot of dumb things without the cops, us calling for the cops to arrest them. But just the uh, the discrepancy here in how they are cracking down on certain protests, but not when all these business owners yeah. are out here getting pissed. And I think that's overall the case. But just out of fairness, I do believe there was one protest in North Carolina for reopening the government where someone was arrested and the police tweeted out very stupidly, in my opinion, that uh, protest is not an essential activity, mm. um, which all was right. not a, a why. But but so there are some exceptions. And I, I always feel the need to to acknowledge them because I'm not I'm not hiding the ball here. But I feel like even with those exceptions, there is clearly a double standard with how these things are policed, clearly a double standard with how they're covered by the media. And, you know, I, I think there are a lot of serious questions about, like, could this be used to impact the right to protest? And, you know, if you start saying you can't protest unless you're wearing a mask, which I would not go outside without a mask, I think you shouldn't be going outside without a mask, you know, then is it the organizer's fault that people don't have masks? And I, I would say, no, I think, you know, the state should be providing the mask. But I also think, you know, I can't go into the grocery store without a mask. And I think that's a sensible policy. But I think if that's going to be the law, you know, they should provide people with masks. I'm very fortunate. I, I have a mask. Um, but I know how hard it was to find one. And I, and I, and I think that, you know, we, we should be saying that if you have to, I think it's totally fine to mandate the wearing of masks, but you know the answer to that problem isn't arresting and incarcerating people. Uh, we saw an incident in Cincinnati, Ohio, where someone was filming um, like a block party or some sort of party happening in violation of the shutdown order, and they arrested him uh, for inciting, not just violating the shutdown order, but inciting violence. I don't know how filming a thing is inciting violence. And, like, the prosecutor implied that this person was going to die in jail of COVID, and it was good. And I, I don't even think I have to explain to you the racial dynamics of what this incident was. I think it's obvious. Uh, 
So, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not for like policing and incarceration as a solution to, you know, non-compliance with a good faith public health order. But I, I do think we should be discussing like, why isn't, why aren't they providing masks? Why isn't there access to healthcare and things like that? I also want, while I'm angry at the media, may I pick at the shamefulness of NPR's ridiculous story where today where they interviewed a coffee shop owner who claims that unemployment benefits are too generous and therefore she has to close her business because nobody wants to work. And not once in the article do they mention that you can't volunteer voluntarily quit your job and get unemployment benefit have to be fired or laid off yeah i think you just i think you just I did, did go yeah, off of yeah it was one of those things where it wasn't really a question it was a statement designed as a question well um, i'm glad you did because it was a terrible article and uh it's terrible journalism i mean yeah, adam johnson is a very inaccurate. solid media critic there's like a like take like a step-by-step takedown of it on Twitter, but like, it's just mind boggling. First of all, right. The benefits are based on what if the minimum, what like base salary of $15 an hour, $15 an hour should be the federal minimum wage, right? The fact that this person is paying people less than $15 an hour, like that's their problem. Yeah. They should be embarrassed to admit that. Yeah. Oh, oh, she she just comes out with we believe in paying a living wage, but what's a living wage here isn't the living wage in the federal government. And it's like, okay, you know, what are these generous benefits? Oh, six hundred dollars. Oh, you know, wow. Six hundred dollars a week. Six hundred whole dollars. Six hundred whole dollars a week. I can't believe these people are uh, you know. I mean, I guess if you pay your employees less than $600 a week and they get $600 a week in unemployment benefits, which isn't really that generous or that great, um, I guess after you fired them, they probably won't be in a hurry to come back and, and work for you. And like multiple people have pointed out, nowhere in this article does it talk about the process for 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 um applying for unemployment benefits or the fact that this person had to have fired or or um laid off her employees and there's just so many awful lines here there's from this from this person we're very committed to paying a minimum wage it happens that a minimum wage is the living wage in harlan county or harlan kentucky is not exactly the same thing as other parts of the countries and then some republicans uh noted the unintended consequences of relief uh which is just ridiculous and then you know she sort of implies that these people are hindered are hurting like first responders the number one people we're serving right now are healthcare workers i feel like they don't have a lot of options and certainly deserve at least some coffee in this right it's like sure coffee <laughs> I, I i support this also pay your employees right is that is that not a difficult difficult thing also you clearly laid off your own employees if they're getting if they're getting unemployment um it sounds like they basically interviewed uh those types of republican senators they interviewed from one the small business owner no one else and here 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 is here is a real great 
uh, line from the article. This is not a quote from the small business owner. This is the neutral objective NPR reporter just laying down the facts like they are. Many employers have welcomed the federal benefits. Of, yeah, employers welcoming benefits, sure. Knowing workers have an additional lifeline from the government makes even painful layoffs a little bit easier. Oh, how hard it is to lay for them. Cincinnati mayor highlighted the federal payout during the... Oh, my God. I think they may be... I thought there was a second part to this, but I um perhaps missed it or they got taken out. I don't know. Well, I remember uh, we reported on Means Morning News a few weeks ago, Elon Musk's brother, Kimball Musk, who is also a billionaire, also a piece of shit, uh, laid off like 100 workers of his restaurant company during this whole thing. And also the, the, his workers had contributed part of their paycheck to some fund that the workers could use if they fell on hard times. And now would be a hard time, but Musk cut off access to that fund for the people he laid off, uh, restricted it for the people that were still employed. And when he was asked about all this, he said, well, he's just happy that the federal government could step in and provide all these generous benefits more so than he could possibly provide or that the family fund that his workers had been contributing to could provide. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, they, here, here, I'm sorry, here is the sentence I, I was looking for um, in the NPR article, because this, this is, this is one of the most shameful things. And once again, this isn't a quote, this is the neutral, objective, you know, voice of God that is NPR. For many workers and employers, that money is a godsend, a way to keep food on the table while also cutting payroll costs. But the extra money can create some awkward situations. Remember, we are acknowledging that this money is keeping food on the table and cutting payroll costs. Uh, but there's some awkwardness. What could that awkward situation be? Some businesses that want to keep their doors open say it's hard to do so when employees can make more money. by saying, Who the fuck would write this? Well, I, I can tell you who would write it. His, his name is on the article. His name is Scott Horsley. He wrote this, apparently, and I uh, I don't know what goes on in his mind. Scott Horse shit. I'm sure we could uh, look up his LinkedIn uh, bio or his Facebook page. He's the chief, he's see where NPR he went to college and be like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Scott Horsley is NPR's chief economics correspondent. He reports on ups and downs in the national economy, as well as fault lines between booming and busting communities. He, he sounds like he's on that uh, that dipshit Kai Rizdal show all the time. The guy who sounds exactly like Sam Sachs. Oof, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I just I had to reference it. I'm sorry. That's it wasn't right. it wasn't it wasn't a slight at you. It was just the awkward elephant in the room that we all. <laughs> there <laughs> indeed uh any final thoughts chip i just have to say that you know the federal government has completely failed in this response there are forty thousand people who have died from the coronavirus obviously you know a virus is you know something we, we can't necessarily prevent in all cases but our failed public infrastructure the fact that working class people can't access health care 
all of these things are exacerbating it. The government, particularly Trump, instead of, you know, um, taking responsibility or working to get real relief to workers, have, you know, just scapegoated this racist scapegoating of, of China and, 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 and people like that. And how does Joe Biden respond, but with this bizarre, bonkers, batshit insane, racist ad scapegoating Trump for being too soft on China in relationship to the to the to the to the disease, which is just more awfulness. Mm. Yeah. Right. The Democrats had any sense. There's so much that things they could be doing now. Like, like there's a Trump ad of Nancy Pelosi talking about her fancy ice cream and fancy refrigerator interspersed with like people who are economically suffering. As I pointed out for like, I think it must be four or five years now during the Republican primaries in, in 2016, 2015, Trump was asked, should we raise the minimum wage? And his response is wages are too high. Right, the Democrats could endlessly run with that, but oh no, they don't want to offend rich people ever. But you know, Donald Trump, world's most shameless hypocrite, which you know has no political political cost for him, so good for him, I guess. You know, running with this ad of Nancy Pelosi, you know, talking about ice cream while um people are out of work. Chip Gibbons. <laughs> you heard it from him. Journalist, policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent. Although everything he says during Chip Chat are his own words, not he's not speaking. We've got no ice cream at Defending Rights and Dissent. Yeah, he's, we're, we're neutral on the ice cream question. Yeah, yeah. Well, they shouldn't be. Can I just say that? Do something about that, Chip. I'm too busy having an aneurysm from NPR. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll do this again next week. I haven't completely had a breakdown induced by corporate media. Don't have to read every NPR story, Chip. Practice a little bit of self-care out there. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. I will try. I'm Sam Sachs. This has been another (laughs) edition of Chip Chat. (laughs) 